Fred Craddock, a brilliant pastor and theologian, once suggested that if you were to ask Jesus who his favorite preacher was, Jesus would have said, John the Baptist. I think he's right about that. If you had asked Jesus who his favorite preacher was, I think Jesus would have said, John. Most of you know that John the Baptist was the one who came to prepare the way for Jesus. He was the one who came preaching and baptizing in the wilderness of Judea and welcoming the crowds. But he always recognized that his job was to prepare the way for the coming one, for Jesus, who was coming shortly after him. And these two, for a season, they ministered together. John and Jesus ministered at the same time with different groups of people for a season. And one time Jesus turned to the crowds and he said, when you went out to see John... What was it that you went out to see? Did you go out to see an emperor dressed in the nicest clothes? Somebody who was going to get their photo on the newest edition of Gentleman's Quarterly? I don't think so. I don't think so. A prophet? Did you go out to see a prophet? Jesus asked the crowds. Yes, yes, and more than a prophet. Jesus said of John the Baptist, of all the people who have ever been born to a woman, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's a lot. Of all the people who have ever been born to a woman, none is greater than John. That's not a bad compliment. And one of the things that bound Jesus and John together was their message. Did you know that John and Jesus preached the same message? There's a summary of their messages that is given in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke especially. And did you know that John and Jesus preached the exact same message? John came in the, Baptist, in, in, the, in the wilderness of Judea preaching, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe the good news. Have you heard that before? Because Jesus came on hand in Galilee preaching, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe the good news. This was the most beautiful invitation on the lips of John and Jesus. It was an invitation granted to the people of their generation to recognize, to recognize that the reign of God had drawn near, that the reign of God was not in some distant space in some outer galaxy. The reign of God had drawn near upon us so that God's reign is breaking out among us and God is working to do the work of new creation in the world to, to make all things new. And this was breaking out particularly through the ministry of Jesus. But John and Jesus both preached this message about the kingdom of heaven, this this exquisite invitation, this beautiful invitation to the people of their generation to live as those who are being made new and as citizens of God's kingdom. But there was a problem. Most people of the generation of John and Jesus did not accept this invitation. Did you know that? We have in our minds that all kinds of crowds follow Jesus and that an extraordinary number, but did you know that really in the Gospels it's quite clear that all kinds of Jesus, all kinds of people did not accept, did not receive the invitation that was granted by both John and Jesus. Jesus captured that in one of the parables that he told. I'm going to paraphrase it. It went like this. Jesus said there was this guy who threw a, a huge banquet. It was the mother of all banquets. It was food and more food and drink and more drink than you could possibly imagine. And he sent his servants out with invitations all over the kingdom. And nobody came. And the, 
giver of the banquet looked at his watch and tapped his foot and waited and nobody came and nobody came and nobody came. And finally, when his servants came back and said, we can't find anybody, he said, go again. This time, go to the highways and the byways and bring back with you the poor and the blind and the crippled and the lame. They'll join me for the banquet. This was a, this was a, a, a parable that was told about the generation of Jesus and the generation of John. So many people had heard this extraordinarily good news. Eh, I got to fix my Studebaker out in the backyard. I got to talk with my accountant about my investments. I don't know, I'm going to kind of busy doing some housework that day. And many of the generation of John and Jesus said no to the most beautiful of all invitations. And you can imagine what that was like for the disciples of John and Jesus. They were on the other end of this. They were the they were the poor and the blind and the crippled and the lame that Jesus told about in that little parable. And you can imagine what this was like for them. They were like people who go to a party an hour early. They're so excited to be there. They're like people who go to a party and stand at the door because they can't wait. They're, they're literally, they're, they're, they're so excited they can hardly contain themselves. And when the party begins, they look around and they go, where is everybody? Are we the only ones who have responded to the invitation to be citizens of the kingdom of God, to live as though God's reign is breaking out among us and God is making us new? Are we the only ones? Where is everybody? You can imagine how extraordinarily confusing this was for the disciples of Jesus and the disciples of John. And so it is that on the occasion of the passage that Rose just read for us a moment ago, that Jesus addresses this. He addresses the confusion of his disciples and the crowds who are so excited about the message of the kingdom. And, and Jesus says, this generation, the generation in which we're living, is kind of like a group of children who are in a marketplace and, and they're shouting to another group of children in the marketplace, hey, we played the fruit flute for you and you didn't dance and so we played a, a dirge for you and you didn't mourn. What's up? No matter what we do, nobody seems to respond. Jesus says, this is our generation. John the Baptist came, remember, John who came with the same message about the kingdom as Jesus. John the Baptist came, Jesus said. He came wearing no fancy clothes. He came not eating. He fasted much of the time. He came not drinking. And this generation said of him, ha, he must have a demon. And the son of man, Jesus says of himself, the son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, ah, a drunkard and a, and a glutton and a friend of tax collectors and of sinners. It is a confusing time for the disciples of John and the disciples of Jesus as they look around the world and they, they see this message to which they have, they have responded with their entire being full of excitement and energy. And they look at their generation and they see folks who just don't seem to have the time. And they wonder. And they wonder. And we might marvel at their generation. We might be amazed at their generation, at the... At the, at the ignorance of their generation, except that ours isn't that much different, is it? The same message of the kingdom of God is, is ringing out through churches all over the world today. The same message of the kingdom, this message that God is among us, bringing renewal. God is among us, healing the earth. God is among us, healing our fellowships. This same message is ringing out from churches all over the world, and, and yet it seems to hit with a with a thud of indifference. The Christian church has been working now for some 2,000 years to various degrees of faithfulness and effectiveness. For 2,000 years, the church in the world has been 
seeking to form a fellowship, a different kind of fellowship in the world, a fellowship of of brothers and sisters who come together and who are learning to love one another. Oh, it's difficult, it's hard, it always has been because, well, it just is. But for 2,000 years, the Christian church has been seeking to be a fellowship of people who love one another and to embody the difference that it makes when we welcome God in our midst, how it can change our relationships. We are a people who seek to be the home of which Rose was speaking earlier this morning. We are a people who seek to be this fellowship, this connectedness, this community, a new community in the world. And very often, the response of the world has been, eh, We'll stay home and watch reruns on ESPN. For 2,000 years, we've been seeking to embody the love of God in the world. We've been seeking to embody the justice of God in the world. For 2,000 years, the Christian church has been working and working and working and working to stand with the least of these. You know, we often get it wrong, but we sometimes get it right. For 2,000 years, the Christian church has been standing among the poor and some of the outcasts and some of the needy. We've been standing among those who are often forgotten in the world. We've been throwing up our voice to the world. We've been announcing the kingdom of God is a reign of justice. Join us in this work. And all too often, the world says, yeah, I need to stay home and mow my lawn today. For 2,000 years... We've been people gathering together for worship. For 2,000 years, to various degrees of faithfulness, sometimes viewing it, doing it extraordinarily well and sometimes not at all. But for 2,000 years, the Christian church has been gathering together as a people in worship. We've been gathering together to rehearse the story of God. You know, that's part of what we do in worship. We sing our praises and we give our thanks, but part of what we do in our gatherings of worship is to remember God's story. We remember a story from creation to new creation. We remember that God has always been working in our world to bring about true liberty and true freedom. And for 2,000 years, we've been gathering for worship and celebrating this story. And very often the world says, yeah, I like my version of freedom better. I'll do my thing. Thank you very much. Sometimes, those of us who are disciples of Jesus, we can't be a little bit, help but be a little bit confused. We can't help but be at the, like be those, being those folks who came early to the party and then look around and wonder, where is everybody? After all, we've now learned less than half of Americans consider themselves to be church-going Christians, and we wonder why things are going in the wrong direction, and we just can't help but look around once in a while and be a little bit confused. Which is what makes the opening words of the passage of Scripture that Rose read just a few minutes ago so extraordinarily important. At that time. It is precisely in the time when the generation of John and Jesus was rejecting the kingdom that Jesus told this story. At exactly that time. At that time, Jesus declared... I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and from the learned, and that you have revealed them to babes. Yes, Father, for such was your beautiful will. It's as though Jesus is saying to his disciples through this prayer, it's as though Jesus is saying, hey, gang, this isn't a surprise to God. That this generation has been saying, largely saying no to the invitation of the kingdom. It's not a surprise to God. God didn't wake up this morning and look around and say, whoa, why isn't it working? 
It's as though Jesus is reminding his disciples through this prayer that God is not surprised by all of this. In fact, it's as though Jesus is saying to his disciples that God's word to the church is, I got this. I got this. I know about all the no's to the kingdom. I know about all of the rejections. I don't want you to worry about this. I've got this. And then he continues, and Jesus says, All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the the Son chooses to reveal him. It's as though Jesus is saying to his disciples, gang, I'm not surprised that there have been a lot of no's out there. Don't worry that many, many people have been saying no to the invitation of the kingdom of God. I know what's happening. I'm going to pay a great price for that, as a matter of fact. Don't worry. I've got this. I've got this. And then do you know what he does next? After Jesus has made it clear that none of this is a surprise to God or to the Son, he issues another invitation. Another one. If he has issued a hundred invitations to the kingdom, count this a hundred and one. You simply cannot stop Jesus from issuing the most beautiful invitation even to the most obstinate people in the world. He just keeps inviting. And his language is a little bit different this time. His language is a little bit different. But make no mistakes In the words that follow, Jesus is inviting people to be children of the kingdom of God. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Can you imagine some of the folks there who are are weary and heavy laden? Some of the folks who have had the burden of the Pharisees laid on their backs and on their shoulders It wasn't enough that the law of God was challenging, that the the Torah was challenging. The the Pharisees laid on top of the the Torah over a hundred additional commandments that they gave to the people. Jesus would one time say of the Pharisees, woe to you. You lay on people burdens that you can't even yourselves carry. Can you imagine the people who heard the invitation of Jesus who are carrying a weight of religious burden that was simply overwhelming in that moment? Can you imagine the people who were carrying a weight of political burden that was overwhelming? Oh, for heaven's sakes, these were Jewish men and women who were living in their own country, but their own country was occupied by the Roman Empire. There were reminders on every corner, on every street corner, that Rome was Lord in those days. And these people who just simply wanted to live out their lives quietly and peacefully, they lived constantly in the awareness of the violence of the Roman Empire where they weren't really citizens. And can you imagine what the weightiness of that was like? In addition to the weightiness that people experience in every, every age and every generation, the weightiness of people living in hard relationships and the weightiness of people living in challenging circumstances, can you imagine what it was like for people to hear the 101st time the invitation to the kingdom Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He goes on. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Do you know what this is? This is an invitation to be a disciple. 
An invitation to be a disciple and an invitation to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God are exactly the same thing. Jesus is now inviting people to be his disciples. Take my yoke upon you. This is, this is the yoke by which oxen were connected with the plow, which kept them connected with the work that they were to do. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus says, and learn from me. The word learn in Greek is mathete. The word disciples in Greek is mathetai. Do you hear it? This is an invitation to disciples, discipleship. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he says. For the last month and a week, I think it is, I believe this is the fifth Sunday, we have been on a journey here together in South Meridian that we're calling a long obedience in the same direction. We started at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, some of you will recall. We started at the very end, the words of the risen Lord to his church gathered together when Jesus said, go therefore into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all of the things that I've commanded you. We focused on those words, teaching all the things that I commanded you. And you remember, we suggested when Jesus said this at the end of the Gospel and after his resurrection, it would have required his disciples, as it were, to run back to the earlier portions of the Gospels and remember everything that he had commanded. And so this summer, we are, we are considering discipleship as, as learning the commandments of Jesus, remembering the commandments of Jesus through the Gospel of Matthew. And we're calling this season, this journey, a long obedience in the same direction. The word obedience is on hard times today. The word obedience is not the favorite word of many people, except possibly parents who are hopeful still. For many people, the word obedience has brought about some very negative connotations, and you can understand why. You can appreciate it. We happen to live in a country in which slaves were told to be obedient to their masters, and those saying this were quoting scripture as they do it. And we can appreciate in a world like that where obedience is used in such demonic ways, we can appreciate that people would grow tired of the word obedience. We're living in a world in which wives have been told that they should be obedient to their husbands. And in many cases, they have been told they should be obedient even in the worst imaginable circumstances when their husbands are, are intolerant or even abusive. Wives are told you should be obedient in circumstances like this. No, 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 no. The gospel has us completely rethinking the word, the words obedience and the nature of relationships. No, 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 that won't do. The word obedience is on hard times in our world. But I want to make a proposition to you this morning. I want to propose to you that everyone, there are no exceptions, everyone is obedient to someone or something. And there are no exceptions. Everyone is obedient to someone or something. From my, uh, my office on the other end of this building, at the corner of 25th and Meridian Street, I often look out my window and notice the people who are walking by in the south parking lot of, of our building. Uh, I'd really appreciate it if you don't tell the Board of Elders this because they actually think I'm working in there. <laughs> from my office, from time to time, I like to just sit back and turn around and just notice the people that are walking by and one of the things that I notice is how many people seem to be walking without a sense of purpose, listlessly, alone, looking at the ground. And I find myself wondering as I look on some folks, 
what it is that they are obedient to in their lives. Boredom? Are they obedient to purposelessness? Some of them, sadly, are obedient to poverty as they walk by the southern, in, in the parking lot of our building, and we, we can see it as people walk by. There have been too many occasions when I have seen people right out the window from my office building here. There have been way too many times when I have seen people who are slaves to anger. I've watched it over and over again as people have their huge fights right outside the window, sometimes just two or three houses away, as I watch enormous fights take place, as I stand with my, my cell phone in hand wondering if I should call the police or if I should go outside. I watch as people are clearly slaves to their anger as they are engaging their fights with one another out the door. We are all obedient to something or someone. Don't think for a second that it's just the folks at 25th and Meridian Street outside my office. Some of us are slaves to the longing for security. We have this vision in our mind that if we have enough money saved up, if we have enough money locked away in the bank, finally we're going to feel, we're going to feel secure and we're going to feel happy. And so some of us have lived as slaves of security for huge parts of our lives. It pulls us, it pulls us by its yoke, the longing for security. Some of us are, are, are slaves to fear. I actually happen to think a whole bunch of us in our generation are slaves to fear. We watch the evening news and we are terrified that this or that event is going to impinge upon our lives and we live as people who are now connected all the time online and on, on, on the internet and we live by the fear of the stories that we're reading. I think many of us are slaves to technology, this extraordinary gift, technology, when used well, but I think many of us have become slaves to technology so that we can't do without it for five minutes or four or three or two or even one. We don't know what to do with any spaciousness now. And so because we have no spaciousness, there's no freedom in our minds to be creative and, and free and, and, and think about ways of living differently. We're slaves to our technology. I think there are no exceptions to this. Absolutely every person alive is obedient to something. And here's the thing. Those of us who are acquainted with Jesus and know his voice, and those of us who are yielded to his purpose and his spirit, we find obedience to Jesus to be a burden the way a balloon that wants to fly finds helium to be a burden. We find the yoke of Jesus to be a burden the way people who want to dance find music to be a burden. Make no mistake, there's a yoke to being connected with Jesus. There is a discipline that is required to be connected with Jesus. But it is the discipline of those who want to be connected to the very source of love. And when we take that yoke upon us, when we begin to follow in the way of Jesus, we discover a new freedom that begins to emerge in our lives and in our communities, a new kind of freedom. It is no longer the freedom that we once imagined of people who have to get their way, the way freedom is often described. It is no longer the freedom who have to get their way. It is now the freedom of people who are, who are so profoundly loved that they are free to love one another and give themselves away. Henry Nouwen described the yoke of Jesus as clearly as anybody that I have read in my lifetime. Henry Nouwen was a, 
was a Catholic priest whose writings were simply brilliant, a, a wonderful model of discipleship of Jesus. Henry Nouwen once suggested, and I'm going to say a few words about this again in a few minutes. Henry Nouwen once suggested three disciplines of people who, will, who would be yoked to Jesus. The first one he suggested is solitude. We need to break away from the noise of the world and from the noise of our technologies and the noise of the crowds. We need to break away and find a place of spaciousness where we can be present to the source of love and therefore free to be different in our world. He suggested a second discipline was the discipline of community. He said, we need to be united and connected with other people who are on the journey together with us because God has always called God's people together. We need to be part of a fellowship in which we together are learning, failed and broken as we are, what it is to love one another. And he said a third discipline of those who would be yoked to Jesus is the discipline of ministry. He said those of us who are yoked to Jesus cannot help but be engaged in the world. We will be looking about our world. We will be finding ways that our gifts connect with the great callings and challenges of the world. And we will be contributing to the renewal of the world because that is exactly what the kingdom of God in the way of Jesus is calling us. Now, I want to come back in a few minutes to those three disciplines. But for now, I just simply want to end here. The call of Jesus, the call of Jesus, for the 1,001th time, for the one million and one-th time, is an invitation to the kingdom. It is the beautiful invitation. Friends, you can't stop him from offering it. No matter how many no's there are given in any generation, no matter how many groups will resist, no matter how many people will find better things to do with their lives, you cannot stop the risen Lord from issuing the invitation to come. All you who are weary. He will do it the 10 billion and first time if necessary. You simply can't stop him. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am gentle and humble of heart. And you will find rest for your soul. Friends, I want to open the altars this morning. If something in that rings true to you in this moment, if you hear an invitation to the kingdom in those words this morning, and you just want to say, yes, right now, yes, I want to run to the party. I want to get there ahead of anybody else. I want to run to the party. I want to be part of what's going on as the reign of God breaks out in our world. If you want to come to these altars or if you want to kneel where you are, if you want to simply kneel in your heart as we sing together, let this be your moment to say yes to the beautiful invitation of John and especially Jesus.